0: Hello, I'm Lane Stretton and I'm delighted to bring you this podcast today. The South East Melbourne Primary Health Network is partnering with the Victorian Government to deliver the place-based suicide prevention trial. This podcast has come about as a result of those trials and reinforces the amazing work done so far in assisting all communities to build resilience and skills, enhancing their capacity to support each other through difficult periods. Today, we talk with Sarah Burberry. Sarah is a counsellor advocate at the Victorian Foundation for Survivors of Torture, Incorporated, or commonly known as Foundation House. Sarah has worked in the mental health area with refugees since 1998. She has expertise in managing PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and a particular interest in the therapeutic use of current counselling modalities in combination with traditional oral storytelling. Sarah has a bachelor's degree in arts from Victoria University in community development psychology, and a master's degree in social science from RMIT University in international development. She's worked with refugees from around East Africa. She's worked in South Sudan. She's worked as a settlement support worker with the New Hope Foundation. And she's employed by RMIT University as a sessional teacher in their Diploma of Interpreting and Translating. In addition to English, Sarah speaks Arabic, Swahili and Dinka. Today, I'm joined by Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Hello, Lane. Nice to be with you today.
0: Tell me, um, what have been some of the great challenges experienced by in particular the South Sudanese community women, in settling in Australia?
1: There are many challenges faced um, by the women um, in settling here in Australia. Um, First first of all, um, the culture shock majority of these um, the people that come here come through refugee camps or uh, come from places where they have not um, had exposure to um, Western society, Western communities. So when they come here and are hit with minorityness uh, in a new country, that, that's a big shock.
0: Can you describe what, what, what is minority-ness? What does that mean?
1: I think if we, if we go back a few years um, ago, say, um, when, when um, the communities that I'm thinking of started settling in Australia, and I'm going back uh, 18, um, 17, or even 19 years ago, um, we were not as multicultural as we are now. So when you come to Australia, you don't see someone that looks like you. So that's what I mean by the minoritiness. Um, you you get in a train and you find yourself like you're you're, you're the only person of color on on that carriage. Um, that was many years ago. Things have ever however changed um, over the years, and 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 um, we are becoming multicultural and 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 mixed society and and that's helping with a lot of the anxiety um, that you feel when you feel that you are alone and minority and um, that's helping with the sense of belonging to to this community that i can see someone that looks like me um, in this community so that helps with a sense of belonging and it helps um, the community settle better once they see people that looks like them, that, that, that um, talk like them, that have the same experiences as them.
0: Yeah. It's, and on top of that, it's a very communal-based culture, isn't it? So being around people who are from your homeland Um, and are from your tribe is actually really important in terms of being able to live what would be considered a a normal way of living?
1: That's correct. That's correct. A lot of uh, um, new communities um, come from um, a collectivist culture, um, come from a clan culture um, where you are just not... You and you and your um, family unit, you are your family unit and an extended family and then a community around that and a clan around that and a people around that. So uh, many of our communities come from that culture and that's um, sort of what they envisage, they might see here, but this is totally different. Um, this is totally different where you are settled, where you are settled, um, for example, due to, you know, maybe housing, um, affordability, or whatever area that you fall, you might, you know, be um, chosen to, to, to settle in the west or in the north or in the southeast. Um, some people may, you know, have some of their preferences, but a lot of the time... It is um, it, um, guided by um, affordability of housing and where you can be uh, settled and supported by um, settlement organizations. So that 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 that's that can be very isolating for many of our communities.
0: Yeah. Those that came early on broke the ground for those that came afterwards. <laughs> I imagine those that came early on the uh, it was a very foreign culture and and they felt very isolated because literally, as you said, there was no other person who looked like me, sounded like me who felt the way I felt. But as time has gone on and we've seen more and more members uh, from the South Sudanese community come to Australia, have the challenges of finding a space within Australia changed for community over the Say the last ten years,
1: the challenge, the settlement challenges remain, because um, I think the settlement services are designed to support people um, in the very interim. However, um, as I said earlier, many of our communities have lived in refugee camps for a very protracted time. Some have been in refugee camps for 30 years. So that takes a long time to settle. Whilst the settlement services, um, the intensive support might be in the first six months or if you're lucky, the first year and then, you know, um, drips and drops after that for about five years then you are meant to access the mainstream um, support services, which people are not familiar with. So once um, you are left in that vacuum where you are to seek help for yourself with the mainstream services and you don't know um, where to start and you don't know the language, many of the settlement challenges start to come back. So you start having the housing problem. Um, you, you start having you know problems with your school you start having problems with um, enrolling your children in school you start having problems with moving from one place to another another thing that we have found you know like um, many of our communities are, are very transient um, because this collective community they're collectivist and sometimes they move to where um their other, relatives or family have settled and whatever they imagined before to coming to a new place might be very very different when they when they when they arrive so we find a lot of breakdown because of that transientness of of the community seeking an ideal for themselves but the society is set up in a different way that you know that, that, that you you can't readily get that housing that you um, that you think you want that you can't readily enroll the children in that school um, it might be full it, you might be from a different you know there's there's requirements that come with with moving uh, from place to place and and that sets a lot of our communities back and then um, you, you know then they struggle they struggle with that and that needs support. Um, So the settlement services are finished. They are unable to access the mainstream services or the mainstream services um, offer specific things rather than the the settlement um, type issues. So we find that people struggle uh, quite a bit. Um, We we find that people still um, struggle despite having been here a long time. Mm -hmm. Other thing, you know, like... uh, Many of our communities have large families, and it's not, it's not easy to um, take care of uh, a large family, to yourself with, um, um, with a large family. It comes with a lot of complexities, you know. Um, even, even just ch- moving schools um, is, is, a, is a very tricky thing for, for people to navigate and that they need support, yeah.
0: So as they um, settle here, they also begin to establish families and now we have a different kind of settlement issue emerging and that is the integration of children and young people into society as well. And from having lots of conversations with members of community, this can be a very complex thing uh, because the children find themselves between two cultures do you want to talk a little bit about the challenges of the older generation maintaining and holding on to old cultures but the younger generation wanting to merge into a different way of living
1: mm, mm. so they say that you know the younger the younger um, the young people uh, pick up the language really fast um, y- you know make friends easily because um, they're out in the community. They're in schools or TAFEs or uh, playing sports. So in those spaces, they will connect with their peers and, and, and find themselves um, in a new place. Of course, there will be a lot of negotiations happening. These things that they will reject, these things that they will embrace um, as, as the time goes. But... Many of our older generations are very isolated. They're socially isolated. Um, So if I may say they're on the, you know, they're on the periphery of the the mainstream community. So many things they they might not be exposed to. First, language. Um, Many of of our older um, community members still struggle um, with, with language. And um, so, if you if you don't have if you don't have language, even engaging with your kids' school uh, becomes very difficult um, to do. Um, knowing what 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 their children um, like, for example, if they're going to sports, w- w- why are they going to sports? Sports is not education. We came here for education. So the older generation have different hopes and aspirations for their um, young people. And also very high hopes for their young people and very high expectations for their young people, which the young people struggle with. And this can create a lot of tension as the young people uh, try and and, and pull away from that because sometimes they might not meet those expectations. And then the conflicts happen, the, the, the tensions build And then that um, we see majority of the time lead to um, a breakdown or um, might need an intervention from um, a member of the community or um, agency to support the family um, regain their harmony again.
0: So what role, so just turning our attention to family dynamics, because I think this is one of the issues uh, within community just at the moment. That whole parenting space, parenting older generations now as when I talk about older generations, younger, older generations, teenagers moving into young adulthood, um, and, the, and the challenges of doing so. What is the role of a woman within a South Sudanese family? And how does family how do family dynamics work within a South Sudanese family?
1: Mm-hmm. So the family dynamics are very, very different um depending on um where, where you were born yeah where you were raised, majority of our community our communities here would be rural um um you know born in the in the, in the very remote of south sudan um, some of of the community would be urban um um you know, born and raised, or urban, uh, move to urban centers and live. So there's, there's there's very different upbringing in the in the in the different you know in the two spaces. If you're um, in the remote, um, the, the the culture has um, you, you know the division of roles. There's this, the, the 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 gender roles and there's the male roles. And in the, um, in the remote areas, those might tra- happen in a traditional way. Yeah. So the customary um, initiation, what the boys do, what the men do, what the women do, um, all happen in that, in that way. Yeah. If it's not disrupted by war, a lot of these things I'm talking about have been disrupted by war. So they haven't happened naturally or some steps have been skipped which have created their own um, disharmony in in their own way. For those who were um, in in the urban centres, they have to adopt to mainly, um, you know, uh, modern um, Sudanese, Arabic-speaking, Sharia law. So there's there's a lot of expectations that those who were in that environment also um, had to balance with as they're living in that environment. And also the community there was transient. They saw themselves as living temporarily here because the war was happening for, for, for many years. So a lot of um, our history has contributed to, to, to families being, um, you know, being being fragile, if, if I may say, um, because some of the traditions and the way of doing things have been missed or have been disrupted. Um, due to the war, and that creates a lot of conflicts. When families have problems and they try to resolve them, where do they go back to? what is their reference? And those references you, you have to tap into to, to, to what people know or what they've been through or what um, what what you expect them to have learned. Um, you know so it, it, it's very, very difficult to negotiate their balance sometimes. And and that's why um, disharmony continues um, to, to happen because sometimes it's it's very difficult for um, bo, bo, you know like to to compromise on on anything um, yeah because there's been distractions for generations and generations
0: yeah and you touched on probably the biggest distraction and that's been the ongoing civil war which has had a you know a a, a uh, Traumatic, left a traumatic legacy for many people. How do people in community deal with the trauma associated with that? And how does that impact on family dynamics?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so the war has been a massive contributor to the trauma and to the disintegration of families. Um, the war has affected every fabric of our community um, in terms of human life, property, um, and mental health of people. For for someone like myself, you know, I may be considered young, but I was born into war um, because the war has been going on for for a long time, for generations and generations. Our parents or my parents were born into war. I was born into war. Um, And if I was not lucky, if I was still living in South Sudan, my children um, would have been born into war because it's still, the civil conflict still continues. Um, Civil unrest, inter-ethnic unrest still continues. So there's many, many generations that have been affected by war. So when you are just surviving um not living you know just surviving what would you what do you hold on just the, the very basic if you have shelter if you have food um that, that's it so education is, is is it doesn't become a priority um your mental health doesn't become a priority many many important things to health physical health don't become a priority so you go on um repressing and, and and maybe normalizing some of what, what you have been through if you uh um um if you if you are lucky for those who are very unlucky um you know me- mental health um the, the illness that they live with illness for for a long time and 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 sadly majority lost their lives because there's no that sort of help so I can say, civil war has had disastrous impact on the South Sudanese community. Um, people live with undiagnosed um, mental illness. Um, I mean, you know, part on on their back. Many of our communities have become resilient because they have just to survive. They, they've become very resilient. However, you, you just you just Go, you just keep going for your children uh, and you know just to live life because life must go on um, despite all those adversities so lots of mental health lots of mental health issues lots of trauma um you know lots lots of impact really um, in terms of losses loss to life loss to property yeah.
0: So there's lots of grief, I would imagine, associated with that as well. Um, grief for not only um, losing people that you love uh, in the war, but also the loss of a future and the loss of a the loss of a country and the loss of aspiration and the loss of hope and all those other things that go with that. Those secondary um, grief areas that we know of. You mentioned mental health. How does it manifest itself in behaviours? within community, in particular, how does it manifest itself in behaviours for the women within community? And I guess a secondary question to that, given the disconnect that exists between some of the older generation of women and the system that's there to support them in this country and the fact that they don't know how to, uh, to use that system or even necessarily communicate with that system, where do they find support uh, to enable them to navigate the complexities of trauma and, mm. uh, and life mm. in Australia
1: yeah so a lot of the South Sudanese population are Christians um, and some um, a small minority practiced um, traditional beliefs so the majority have turned to their faith so a lot of faith-based um, b- beliefs and 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 um interventions have been used by by the community um, as i said earlier you know when people um seek the primary needs you know um, the, the the you know the the, the shelter um you, the safety um the food so what 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 they set up after that is a church where people can come together and 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 just support one another so Church has played a big, big role in the community. Um, churches, as long as I can remember, have um, always sprung up in wherever, um, in the displaced camps, in the refugee camps, um, in, uh, as people um, you know, lose their loved ones on that journey of being refugees. There's always some rituals and and, and they are Christian um, based rituals. So faith-based interventions have been used a lot, prayer, fasting, um, Bible study, um, the the everyday, you know, like the Sunday Masses, um, the Sunday Mass have been used in that way. And then, you know, these, you know, they're talking to elders, you know, the 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 community um also base interventions where someone would, um, you know, older, uh, usually, um, you would go to seek some advice from from an older person, an older aunt or an older uncle, when, when things get really difficult. Um, yeah, where those people um, were there. Yeah, but now because people so live in different places and sometimes it's very difficult to, to know who is the aunt and who is that important uncle that you can reach out to, to speak with. or you, you want to keep away from that aunt or that <laughs> uncle because your mum will <laughs> hear about all of yeah. that, what you've just discussed.. Yeah. So yes, yeah. Yeah, so I think the community has re, you know always reinvented itself, always created its own resources. but that's not enough. When, when trauma happens and for generation when trauma happens, some really guided therapeutic interventions um, must happen for, for that processing to happen, for that healing to, to begin and for that rebuilding of, of life to, to start again. Um, yeah
0: but that's, that's not natural for community is it you know um, mental health uh, can be heavily stigmatized within community. Um, And even faith can play a role in stigmatising people inadvertently. Um, You know, we know that faith's important, but um, faith can also inadvertently put people on the outside um, as well. Say, for example, they don't have a faith-based background or they're struggling with their faith or they're not attending church on a regular basis, then these sorts of things can be considered. Well, you're not doing the right thing in order for you to heal from you know, the mental condition that you're experiencing. So how is mental health dealt with within community? What's it it look like and how is it perceived, particularly when it comes Mm. to women? So I'd really like to, you know, focus on our lovely women. How is mental health perceived within the female population of community?
1: Mm. So mental health is, you know, is denied it 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 does not is it it does not exist until there's a crisis yeah so when when someone is um exhibiting some odd behaviors or struggling or stressed or depressed um th- there's no reference there's no reference for that because we, you know, the community hasn't been educated in that. Um, the community has been educated that if you are a uh, stress, we pray about it, um, and it will go away. And you know, it's it's like a, a one-off. Sometimes, for some people, it it does um, it does help. But for the one that really needs, um, where mental health is is a problem. That 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 one-off prayer or that one-off, um, you know, um, intervention does not does not really make a difference.
0: So it's the problem then, with seeing the signs early, so that it doesn't get to the point where that intervention is even required. If that makes sense, like not that there's anything wrong with the intervention. The intervention's are wonderful that people will step in. Uh, whether it's you know faith or therapy or, or whatever that's that's helpful, but what we need to be doing is seeing the signs earlier and the interventions coming much earlier in the process. Would that be a fair assumption?
1: Yes. So those those signs are, are, are always there, um, but the problem is that um, recognizing those signs and speaking to those signs and seeking help. So the problem is seeking help. Yeah? The family will keep that a secret because of the stigma yep. for yep. a long time because you don't want to be that mother that has mental illness. Who will marry your children? Where will your sons marry? You would be the um, mother that has you know crazy children or crazy family. So, the, um, the first response would not be seeking help. The first response is to hide um, due to the stigma. The first response is to, to hide it. Because How? the stigma is so huge.
0: Well, the sti- and the stigma go- can go on for generations, as you've just pointed out. It's not just me, um, it's everyone associated with me. It's my family, it's my children. Um, and so it, it has really significant ramifications if I get stigmatised or branded as being different to everybody else. But we know that instinct to hide is unhelpful for the individual because we know that that exacerbates the problem, not helps the problem. But what are the alternatives for someone who might be experiencing stigma or a feeling of shame and guilt associated with their emotional and mental state?
1: Mm -hmm. So um, my observation um, of the community has, has been that um, no one is taking responsibility. So if it's that mother that is affected or does she have a husband or does she have children or does she have relatives, those people will um, are, are sort of left to be the people that, um, you know, take care of her. And, and, and sometimes they, they would in other families the, the family members would respond and take care of um, take care of the, the, the mother. But in other situations where people are isolated and maybe there's no husband or um, the children are busy with their lives, uh, that's not touched. You know? yeah also the resistance from that individual there would be a lot of resistance from the individual to say that I'm fine, I don't don't need help. Um, The other thing, the fear of the services, the mainstream services, when you come in contact with them, there's there's a lot of, um, you know, the assessment, what we call the assessment. Um, You present and you ask, you know, um, what's going on, and there's a lot of questions for our communities, because they've been affected by war for many, many generations, there's a lot of suspicion on authority, whether it's someone, you know, like it's someone who is going to help you, really. Um, the, your your natural response is you're suspicious of any kind of authority because information in the past has been used to target people. Yep. So people hold their information dearly. Um, suspicion is a big barrier for people to 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 readily um, seek help and also um, the lack of familiarity with the services what are they going to ask who's going to talk to me will there be an interpreter will the person understand my culture will they look at me and see like what my family sees or what the community sees that you're crazy um so there's there's a whole lot of that, that that goes on in the background that hinders people from readily seeking help. Um, the other thing because you know majority of the people in the community are hiding it so that's their natural response oh and and, and such and such had the same um, problem but they didn't seek help and they are fine now. So, so so those kinds of stories um, uh, do not help um, when people when, when when people use them. Yeah,
0: And I think, um, you know, that that someone who doesn't seek help and who carries the pain with themselves and within themselves over an extended period of time, it can sometimes lead to some pretty dark places and it can lead to uh, thoughts of ending your life, suicidal thought. Um, Can we talk just for a moment about, the way that suicide is perceived within the community and the problems associated with helping community to protect themselves against potential suicides, because we have seen particularly young men within the community here in Melbourne take their lives, and we obviously want that to stop. How do we encourage community to talk more about this area? Mm.
1: Mm. Again, everyone is very isolated um, in that way. Um, You are placed, you you know, where you um, maybe are renting or your family have purchased homes or, um, you know, people are are very, um, you know, the community is not together. People are isolated in that sense uh, in terms of settlement and where people uh, um, live however when you when people are struggling that like what we just described you know someone is is really struggling and um you don't even know where 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 to seek help, and then the pain gets so much you know um, you wake up in the morning and 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 those feelings are are still there um. Where where do you go? And you're just ruminating, ruminating about about all of that um, stuff in, in your head. For the lucky ones, you know, um I think it's very few that talk. A lot of um the people would be um if they're lucky, they will be in a place where someone will say, you know, mate, I think there's something going on here, and maybe you talk to so and so. Sometimes they will nominate someone from the community. Like I've had people um, reach out to me and say, you know, this person is, you know, doing these bizarre things, very odd stuff. Can you talk to them? Or uh, I, I mean, this is just it's, it's not a, um, a frequent occurrence. It's it's very uh, I can say it's very rare for people to um, contact me and say there's something happening. When we see um, people come in contact with mental health services, it's at a crisis point where someone has had a huge an episode, um, whether it's a psychotic episode, whether it's um, attempting um, to, to take their own lives, um, you know, maybe where um, a young person has gone somewhere and the, the family have... Not been left with any other option but to call the police. So that's when um, at a crisis point that services uh, kick in because someone has alerted the, the, the services, either the uh, emergency services or someone in the community, um, at, at a crisis point though. yeah. So when it's, it's that, at that crisis, many services. Um, come in at that time. And people find that very overwhelming, very overwhelming. And when the symptoms settle, people, um, my observation is that, you know, they disengage from services right. and then maybe they have another episode.
0: Right. Uh, so COVID was a really um, complex period of time for community and probably contributed to um yeah, the mental health uh, in a negative way for many people within community. How has community navigated the complexities of COVID and come out the other side as such uh, from the uh, lockdowns associated with uh, with COVID last year?
1: So, um, you know, COVID and the lockdown was a very very difficult time for the community. Um, first of all, um, just um. When, when, when COVID started and um, that information um, was coming through, the media played a big role in disseminating that information. But it's not many people that watch the news, you know, every day. Um, so um, there was delay in, uh, in information reaching community because community was relying on their own community sources. Community. Um, there's a community radio. Um, uh, I think in Dinka and I think also in Nuer. I'm not sure if there's other languages, um, um, but I don't know how much the the coverage was. Um, the c- coverage for the Dinka radio was whatever they pick up from the news, and and they can report. So that's what they were picking up. For well, the people who were watching the mainstream news, you got a lot more because they just kept reporting and giving numbers and giving, and there was a lot of analysis about what's happening and where COVID is hitting. The idea that it was a pandemic, it was um, people hadn't, um, you, you know, um, accepted that um, and, 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 you know, gotten ready to protect themselves because remember, many of our communities come from situations of war. They wait until war come to your village, and then you flee. So people tend to wait for something to be very near. Yeah. So the idea of taking precautions, the idea of preparing, is not it's not um, a familiar thing for for many people. So by the time that. Um, information was getting to the community through people that had COVID. And a lot of that information came from the U.S. So there were some South Sudanese that had contracted COVID and then they went on um, social media to tell their story. Um, I remember they were um, like, there was a woman and there was a man who told their story and that was shared by in inboxes, in messengers by, by many people. And that. They, they had a reference for it. It's someone that looked like them. It's someone that was affected by this. And a lot of what they were saying um, was normalising COVID, you know. It, 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 it is like malaria symptoms. So, you know, half, you know, like a big population of the South Sudanese community or the, um, you know, the overseas arrival would have had malaria so people would say, "Oh, if it's like malaria, oh, I can manage that. I've had contracted malaria one or two, three times, and yeah. and and I've been fine. I'm here. So that that was not um the analysis needed to happen even after yeah. you saying that um you know it's like malaria, but the analysis needed to happen to to break down those symptoms and what they look like. That was their way of putting it so that people can understand. What they were experiencing in their own body, but COVID affects people differently. However, when COVID um, started getting through the community here in, in Victoria, and there were deaths, and there were people that, you know, that got really, really sick, people became very frightened. Fear became an everyday thing. You know There was a lot of anxiety that's when I remember receiving a lot of calls Mm -hmm. from the women. Or did you hear this family has got COVID? Did you hear this person has passed away from COVID? So there was so much fear. And the fear increased as the lockdown happened because the lockdown became very protected. So that fear isolated people. People became very isolated, the in their homes, um, and as as you are in your in your home, other things got affected as well. Our young people became the target, you know, because the families that contracted COVID, their young people went outside wandering, and then they brought home COVID. Like um, families, many families that, and then there was blame on our young people. You know, they go out, they bring COVID. or don't go out, you bring COVID. So that that was happening. I'm afraid because my young person goes out and this is what happened to this family and this family. So they had examples where this had happened. So fear became even more and very uh, prevalent for for, for people. In your own home, you had no, um, many people lost their jobs. Those who worked in the um, meat works, COVID um, hit their heart, they were, they were home. So it, it, it starts to um, invade every fabric of the community. You know, the employment went. Um, women had, a, they have a informal activities that they do to, you know, to earn a living in the absence of employment. That also went. Yep. So COVID affected employment, affected even the family relationship and created this big fear that, that people that, that people you know like it became everyday thing um, for people um, what help um, which um, I think the, the the people the organization who did that many of the churches went online the South Sudanese um, churches went on on zoom um, some went on on whatsapp and and that that became um, a support. That, that became support um, for for, um, for for many for many for many people, and that's where um, that's what kept them going. Mm. That's what kept them going. I, I remember during COVID, I did um, like an online um, Facebook type of of talk, you know, coping with the pandemic, and um, but it, people. It was shared a lot. People listened to it at their own time, but we we were there was no way to assess how mm. much that helped, um, how much that helped or didn't help, or what what other information that people required. Yeah, I, I think what um what what I can give feedback on was the one to one, like the calls that um that was able to receive and that was able to make um with with families that um. The feedback was that that, that 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 was helpful. That that um, gave them the correct information and allayed their fears in some way.
0: And have we seen any residual impact? Do you are you noticing any trends or any uh, information that you're receiving in your work that indicates that there's a a tail to this um, you know this COVID uh, epidemic that's left some residual impact within families or within community?
1: Mm. So sadly, where in in the families where death happened, um, um, the impact has been massive, and that continues um, to happen, and it continues to affect the community because the memorials are still happening, yeah. and that the community is reminded of how you know the destruction that came with COVID and how they're going, you know, like how they will understand that the shock is still there. Eh? That how did you see, this is so surreal that. It just happened, and and life is is taken, is gone like that. So people are still, they still at the aftermath um, shock and uh, the the reminders because of the memorials that continues to to happen, and there is no space for 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 that debriefing to happen after all these memorials and relieving yeah. what what has happened, um, employment. Um, A lot of the women, you know, like the women that you met in my group, um, you know, like there's some people lost employment, lost their um, informal um, way of making money. Um, You know, these side hustles, like people say, I bring my, (laughs) you know, whatever goods I have and, and, and you look at them and you purchase them if you want. That went um people housing you know like a lot of financial um stress because you can't pay your mortgage w- without a job and without all those little um informal um economies so those are the residuals um you know the grief the loss and the grief still is is very prevalent and the community relieving that um, the loss of employment um the loss of um of who your status yeah uh,
0: uh, yeah what about um, uh, you know someone said to me once that you know um, lane a lot of people tried to help me but they weren't always um, helpful helpers um, mm-hmm. they were actually unhelpful helpers and and mm-hmm. I think sometimes you know mainstream that's you know w- whatever it is that we want to call the broader community want to um, help those who might be in minority or help those who uh, are struggling but Um, either aren't aware of what kind of help is helpful um, or in volunteering um, certain types of help actually make things worse than what they are. If you were to offer some advice to community on how to help and support someone from a called community that might be experiencing all of the complexities of what it is that we've talked about today, what's the advice that we give to the broader community?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, so in, in in what you said, I have I have an example. You know, when COVID hit, um, many families in the Wyndham area um, were, were hit by COVID and had to isolate. So you know, you have a, a large family isolating in the house, and you know they need groceries and 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 you know food. So some organisations um, did, and we you know from a place of goodwill. Um, really wanted to help. And as you went to the supermarket, some shelves were empty. So I think in this instance, um, you know somebody um, knows that Sudanese families eat meat and which was you know very well and true they they eat meat. however, they maybe they didn't did not find um, you know like beef on on their shelf and they bought kangaroo meat and uh, you know, Took it to the family, and the, the family looked at it. It's like, no, we don't eat kangaroo. <laughs> so something got lost yeah. in translation there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you know, we we laughing, we are laughing about it. It was really, it was really funny. And the, and the family were like, no. So that went to west, you know. Yeah. So when we are helping, we have to bear in mind what, how can we be effective, mm. and what will be what will be um, help. In in terms of this community, what, what do they consider help? Um, is doing groceries, is doing, is giving them information on the phone, is, is praying with them on the phone? Is it um, you know, you couldn't sit with anyone during COVID, you couldn't visit people. Sure. But what is help? Ascertaining from, from people, what will be helpful? Yeah. And and sometimes it's a lot of work because it's very individual that you have to make um this call. Um Yes, but, you know, anyone would welcome help. It's just what type and and how you do that help. That's very important.
0: And, you know, given um, the really interesting things that we've talked about in the last hour, um, that help needs to come from a place where um, an individual understands community. You know, it, it feels like to me that one of the biggest issues we've got is that we're not taking the time to understand each other and we're not taking the time to work out what works? The nuances of what works for a particular community that might be very different to another community, um, and uh, is that you know is that as simple as communicating more effectively together about what community needs? That's going to be helpful, or is that naive to think that it's as simple as that?
1: I, I agree with you. It's listening to to, to one another. And I am from the community. Sometimes I don't know what the community wants. Um, I I may have some you know ideas of, of what, what what people want, um, but but sometimes th- those those ideas may fall flat because of you know that's not the need at that time. You know that's not the that's not the help that will make a difference. So it's communicating and more communicating, like you said. Um, Because, you know, um, during COVID, we were looking for specific things. Now, after COVID, we will be, um, you know, asking different questions um, about what, you know, what help, what will be supportive, what what do you need, what do your family need, what do your young people need um, to, 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 you know, to be heard, to be supported, Um, Yeah.
0: Let's say out there at the moment there's someone who really does need that help and support uh, and they're watching this um, and they're thinking to themselves, yes, I do need to do something. What advice do we give to um, an individual within community to say there is help out there, there is support. It may not feel um, at all times like it's perfect for you or it's natural for you, but there is intent and there is goodwill um, how do we how do we help community to take that up? What what steps could someone take?
1: Hmm. For for me, um, I always um, advise advise families that if you need any kind of help, especially around your health, around your mental health, start with your GP. When people arrive, they are linked to a GP. Um, sometimes, you know, they may not keep regular contact, but your GP is is a first point of call.
0: Yeah.
1: If you feel like this is not a, um, a GP-type issue and I need someone else, um, who do you see in the community that is someone that um, you can approach? Or even if it's not in your community, who do you know um, that you think you know if I, this, this person may know something, if I ask them, they might direct me to, to where I get help. Mm-hmm. So for example, sometimes I say if you know me or you yeah. now that you, you, you know my name and you've seen me, if you feel it's something that I can help you with, just just give me a call or, or contact me. I will um, um, guide you and show you um, where to to get that that kind of help. Or if it is just information, you don't want to be handballed around, I'm I'm happy to offer that information. So um, see for yourself what you need. If it's just information, just reach out. Anyone will offer you any, you know, information and and, and direction on where to um, get support. Um, But I cannot emphasise enough the importance of your GP, um, your family doctor. Um, That's always a good place to start when things are difficult.
0: Terrific. Thank you. That's great advice. We'll leave it there for today. Thank you for having this conversation with us. And there's um, lots of uh, practical advice for people. But also, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that these podcasts are educational for others outside of community, such as myself and many others who do want to make a difference, don't quite understand how to do that and need to step up and make uh, a stronger, more intimate um, connection with community so that we can be more effective in the work that we do. So um, I really appreciate your time and um, it's Mm -hmm. been lovely chatting to you and uh, I hope to catch up with you again in the future.
1: Sounds fantastic. Thank you so much, Lane. It's It's been great talking to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, bye.